As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. I've been starting each message in this series with an open letter. The series is entitled Open Letters. And so some of them have been historical and they've been to different things and addressing certain issues. That's what open letters do. This one is written to pastors. Thankful for the person who sent it to me. But as I read it, I'm directing it to our pastors here at High Point Church. And I'm directing it to the pastors in our area who are spreading the gospel. Can we praise God for all them? Gospel preaching churches in the area. This is a letter, dear pastor. The last three years have been full of challenges that none of us have ever faced and few of us could ever imagine. The physical, emotional, and spiritual toll has been great. And our Lord specifically called you to lead and feed his flock during this season. God has used you to comfort those who have lost loved ones, encourage the discouraged, counsel those seeking direction, and preach and teach the unchanging Word of God. Through this time, you, you've had no doubt had your own fears and questions, your own family to minister to. Still, you've been faithful to us. Thank you for modeling for us what it means to minister in season and out, as the Bible says. Thank you for loving Jesus and loving His church. Thank you for pointing us to Christ when nothing else makes sense. Thank you for showing us that God's Word is all sufficient. Isn't that true, God's word? Let's praise God for his word. Thank you for staying true to his call. Soon this particular season will pass. In fact, soon all of this will pass and we will be in the presence of our Savior. I'm sure that on that day, we will all kneel at his nail-pierced feet and you, pastor, will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Until then... Let these words cheer you as you labor. Be steadfast, the scripture says, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. And at times, we've wondered if our labor is in vain, but please know that God's people need a shepherd and this lost world needs your voice more than ever. The Lord is with you and it's a privilege to serve God with you in this generation. We love you. Many are praying for you, Pastor Steve and Pastor CJ. Jesus is praying for you, a thankful church member, a grateful church member. Let's praise God for his goodness and his grace. Amen. That letter was written to committed pastors, an open letter. Go ahead and do this. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. We've got an open letter that's written to a committed church. I'm thankful to say that this is one of two letters that there's no rebuke. There's no loud voice. There's no pointing a finger. That's the last time I'm going to shout this whole message. It's all about the praise, man. This is what I'm calling dear committed church. As I look at who's in the seats today, and I want to thank you for being here, I'm thankful for this committed church. I'm thankful for those who are gathering online. I'm thankful for you as you are part of this church. And I'm thankful for the commitment we have 
So let's read this letter. Let me read it to you. It starts chapter three, Revelation, verse seven. And to the angel in the church of Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works, Jesus says. Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little time and little power, and yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they're Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I'll make them come and bow down before whose feet, you tell me? Your feet. It's our feet. And they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have that no one will seize your crown. That's just a reminder that people are looking to steal your joy. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven and my own new name. He was an ear to hear. Let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Father, we invite you in. Your spirit is here. We've sensed it already in our worship. We know your presence is being felt. I can sense that you're in this place. And so I would ask that you would help us, Lord, not to grieve your spirit in the things that we do, that we would be filled with your spirit and that we would be filled even now that the spirit would permeate my being and as the scripture says, and that it would, it would take hold of us, that, that as we're encouraged in our commitment to you, I also pray that you would help us to take a step forward, Lord, in faith as a result of being here, as a result of your word, that we could that we could model the commitment that this church has in the years and the stages and the places that we are. If you agree with that prayer, simply say amen. All right, man, this is a great message because it's a good message. It's an encouraging message. Each one starts with a pronouncement to proclaim. And so the pronouncement here, it's verse seven. It talks about this. It's written the pastor of the church is the messenger of the church. That's the angel of the church. So we don't have to go over this again, but that's the pastor speaking to the church. And just as I'm speaking to you and the church is the one in Philadelphia. Let me make that clear with the map. We're not talking about Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh isn't here. Okay. This is the church in Asia and it's the city of Philadelphia. It exists today under a different name. It's 35 miles, it was, south of Sardis, which was there, and, and that's the church we looked at last week. How did these churches get there? Well, we've been saying that it was planted, a commitment to church planting. We don't know the specifics of this particular church. We can draw some conclusions and make some guesses. What's funny about this church, though, is this church is actually named after the person or this city after the person that founded it. And so he built the city, Adelis Philadelphus. So as I walk over to our great pastor, Pastor Steve, and he's named his son Atlas, I'm going to call him Adelis for the rest of his life. <laughs> but isn't that a power name? 
Come on, man, give it up. That's a power name right there. I always, I always mess with, uh, you picked it. Sarah picked it, I knew. Sarah, okay, Sarah Smith picked it, but if you ever call her Sarah Smith, I'm, she's gonna look at you, because this is Sarah Masterson. That's her chosen name. That's her name that she's the stage name, and then she married a Smith. Lord help you through the airport. Sarah and Steve Smith, you are definitely getting stopped. So honestly, though, this is the fun part of this, is that this Philadelphus guy, he had a brother, and their brother, him and his brother didn't get along too good. Nothing like your kids. They all get along so wonderfully. And, and what happened is they parted ways, and then they finally made up, thankfully. And so that's where we get the name. Philadelphus is phileo, love. And this city, Philadelphia, is the city of brotherly love. And so that's the picture here, and that's what's going on in this church. What's the landscape? Think Northern California, specifically Napa Valley, and think about you know, the fertile land and the soil and the fruit and the grapes and the wineries. And yep, that's what was here. And, and so that's what they were producing. And, and they had, I think, California because there was some earthquakes in this area. So we'll get into a little bit more of the city in a moment. But take a look with me at your Bibles and very important to see. We've been learning some things about Jesus. And I love what we learn about here because it says two things about him in this pronouncement. The first one, he's the holy one. And so holy literally means separate. Holy means set apart. Seven times in the book of Revelation, it says that Jesus is the holy one. He's set apart. There's nobody like him. There's never going to be anybody like him. Nobody else like him. He was righteous. Because of his righteousness, those who are unrighteous can be declared righteous in front of God because of what he did on the cross. Because of his holiness, we can be declared holy because of not what I do, not what I did, not what you did last night, because of who Jesus is and the forgiveness and grace. Isn't that the gospel? That man, we can, he is the holy one that's been set apart. And we get to ride in on his coattails and that's what gives us favor and standing before God that can't be broken, that can't be interrupted, that there's security in who you are in Christ. And if you're questioning that online, if you're wondering, you can know today that you believe in Jesus and confess your sin and that you can be with him starting today and moving forward that what? Those who believe in his name, those are his children. That's what the scripture says. For as many as received him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. And then it says next, the, the true one. I didn't mention, but I'll do it now. In this city, there was, they were worshiping 10 gods and goddesses. You say, that's a lot. Well, not really compared to the other cities. Remember, we've been studying this, and they had all kinds of different gods. Gods of fertility, and gods of this, and gods of that, and these statues. And, and they were worshiping all these false gods. And so here we see the true one in amongst the fakes. Jesus is the only real one. He is the God. He is the original. He is no copy. The holy one, the true one who does what? He's got the key of David and he opens and shuts doors and, and keys are always in scripture. They're a picture of authority. So the guy with the keys, the big keys, and that's the guy I want to know. He's going to get you in where you got to go. And the key here is the key of David. In Isaiah chapter 22, you can get the imagery that it's referring to David's faithfulness 
and the door of opportunity and blessing that God opened for him, that's what the key of David represents. Now, if we put our Bible hats on and say, I know that David, he was the king. I thought he did a bunch of stuff wrong. Yeah, he did. And God still uses them as the imagery for the keys that no matter what you guys have done, no matter what you did, no matter what your background is, no matter what skeleton is behind in your closet, that God still wants to use you for his glory. The scripture says, Matthew 16, that Jesus says, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And then what does he go on next to say? I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And what? That these are, that you can loosen. And, and these are things that we can do. This is a picture of the opportunity we have with the gospel. The gospel of Christ that we've been given authority. So this is what we learn and this is the pronouncement. Next we get to the <laughs> praise. Boy, I just thought somebody would be praising the Lord. No, 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 no. You miss the opportunity. You just lose it and that's it. You miss that opportunity and it might come back later. I don't know. But there's two praises. And before we get to the praises, he says some things I'm going to come back to, but let me draw your attention to verse eight. He, he says that what I know your works. And so as you sit here today, God knows your individual situation. He knows what you've been doing. He knows what you're up to. He knows what's going on in our church. He knows the things that I don't know. He knows the things that are going on in his, our world. I mean, he's sovereign and in control. Even when you lose hope, he is in control. He knows. He knew what was going on in this church. And as a result, what did he do? He he gave him a couple promises. So I could have easily, if you've been following along in the series, been a good series? This is, okay, good stuff. Now I'm talking to this section over here. That's good. Gina's been with us a long time. Thank you for praising your pastor right there in this series in the Word of God. We're talking great to you. So, but seriously, this is God's Word. And what happens next is we see two promises come. And so I could have put this under the section of promises to claim if you've been following along like this section has, at least the back row. That's what's coming at the end. We could have put that there, but I want to cover them now. So there's a lot of promises in this committed church. And the first one is this, that you've kept my word. And so I can't declare this strong enough that what this church did was they did what God wanted. And so for us today, how do we do what God wants? Well, we got his book and we're to get the principles of life. It contains everything we need for life and godliness. And so this book tells us what we need to do, what we ought not do. The Spirit confirms it. And so they kept the Word. And so they understood what the Word said and what God said. And in our culture today, what God says about us and the sinfulness of man and the depravity and, and our world and, and the Savior that came and and that our job is to call out to others and to influence in our culture and what God's word says about life, what God's word says about sexuality, what God's word says about marriage, what, what God's word says about all things. Like they kept that. And that's what I want to be described as. That's what I want our church. Are you with me? We want to keep his word. It ain't easy to figure out sometimes. It's not easy to figure out what God wants, but I would not know who God is an accurate, clear picture of him if it wasn't for his word. Because I have some assumptions and I have a background and I have some thoughts and I've got some things that enter in that permeates my vision of who God really is based on my own circumstances and situations. 
And so God's word cuts through all that. So we wanna be a people that do what? That, that keep his word. May that be you in your family, in your household, that, that we lead by keeping the word. And then, and then next it says that you've not denied the name. And remember, we said there was 10 false God and goddesses that they didn't bow the knee. We've been learning in this study that other people, they were bowing the knee. They, they were forced to bow a knee to Caesar and, and confess Caesar as Lord. And, and this group in Philly, man, I'm telling you, this Philly, I don't know what was going on over there, but they were eating cheesesteaks and everything else. And they, they were not denying the name. I mean, that's what we see. And so this is when the two promises come up that I want to talk with you about. And so these are the ones that are in verses 9 and 10 that I could have added at the end. The first one is, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And so put our thinking caps on. You got to put yourself in the text. What is he talking about in this church? He's talking about the synagogue of Satan. He's calling the religious leaders in the day. He's calling them a synagogue of Satan. That's not good. That's not a good thing for the religious establishment. That's not a good thing for people. And those are the people that were Jews by what? By background, by heritage, they were the people of God, but they weren't the people of God by faith. And so he's saying that what? That all those people in this case that persecuted you, that made fun of you for what you believed about God's word and about God's truth and about Jesus being the only God and all those things, what's the text say? They're going to bow down at whose feet? At your feet. That's not to worship you. Let's be clear. No, but that's an understanding that these people who persecuted, these people who denigrated, these people who said these things and did these things and not understanding the truth, they will one day come to recognize that they were wrong and you were right. And that's what it's telling us. And they will recognize what? That, that they love them and they love them enough to share as I read this, I think about one of my best friends who stood up in my wedding. I mean, I'll never forget it. Met him at a bar after I became a Christian right up near O'Hare Airport. Probably could have left the bar part out. But I started sharing and telling him about this newfound faith and I probably ran before I walked and I probably said some things I shouldn't have. I've never talked to him again. I don't know who in your family that thinks you're a bit crazy and a lunatic because you actually believe in this. You believe what? You believe the Bible to be true? You believe that Jesus is the only way? You believe that that book is like, are you kidding me? That book is like, it's not reliable. I mean, this thing, you believe that this is God's word? It's prehistoric what it says in there. It's irrelevant to this life. We all have people like that, some in our own family. And I'm just here to tell you that what this is saying is be steadfast, be immovable, and to move forward and do not deny the name because they're going to come to a point where they recognize that what you were telling them was true. And, and, and they're going to see that you loved them. You were just shining the light that Jesus had for the love that he has for you. And so I don't know about you, but that's convicting to me because I think about all the people that I run across and they will come a day when they know and I don't want to be the guy 
or you don't want to be the girl who when they get to heaven or they don't and for eternity, they found out you knew and you said nothing. We don't want to be that people. And so second promise, get ready for a hermeneutical headache. Did you hear me? Hermeneutical headache, that's what this one is. It's an end times eschatology verse. Some people are like, yeah, end times, man, let's go for it. Just settle down. But this is what the promise is made to this church. And it applies to our church, it applies to every church. I believe in my heart that the promises that we keep when we don't deny his name and there's spiritual blessing and you being faithful to what God wants you to do is gonna be an impact to your family, just like the impact of this blessing on the whole church. And so what is it? Well, I'll keep you from the hour of trial that's coming, there it is, to the whole world and, and to those who dwell on the earth. So this isn't just about Philly, and this church, this is about every church, and this is about the whole world and every single person. So let me put the timeline on. This is eschatology, end times. This is the timeline. Obviously, it isn't drawn to scale. It would be much longer, the Old Testament age. This is people looking forward to the cross. They didn't even have the complete understanding that we have because they knew about the Messiah. They were confused about what he would do. And, 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 and now we're in the New Testament age, which moved into the church age. And the church age is what? Is we're looking back, making sense? We're looking back at the cross and we know who Jesus is and what he did and we've got to accept that truth. And, and so we live right here in this church age, but the hour of testing that the promise that, that's in here, that's what's represented by the seven year tribulation period. And it's broken up. Don't want to lose you. Daniel chapter 9, he prophesied about it. Revelation chapter 4, all you Revelation people get excited. Verses 4, uh, chapters 4 through 19, end of the world. What's it going to look like? It's all right there. And, and, and that's the tribulation period, the seven years that's broken up between the beginning of sorrows and the great tribulation. And then Revelation 20, are you with me? Thousand year millennial reign. And then 21 is the new heaven, the new earth, and judgment, the lake of fire. And so what this is teaching is that the church, which is represented by this little nice church building that looks nothing like the office building that you're sitting in right now, that what? That it's going to be taken out. And, and Paul talks about that in 1 Thessalonians 4. Helpful? Yes. So, okay, that was a, that was a t t if I was going to keep going or not, I was just going to move. I'm going to keep going. 1 Thessalonians 4, everybody knows Jerry Jenkins and Left Behind made a millions off this. That what? That the church is going to be taken up. And, and that series, Left Behind, well, what's going to happen? Who's left? And, and that's what this hour of testing is. Now, some people say that it happens at the beginning of the period. Other people think that, well, it's before the Great Tribulation. It's right at the end. So it's not that you're not going to go through any suffering. You're not going to go through that suffering. Other people believe, well, it's more closer to the end. There's even a position that says, no, it's in the middle of the great trip. It's three quarters of the way through. It's called pre-wrath. Hey, what are we supposed to think? Well, I tell you, this is something we gotta have with an open hand. This is a non-essential. So whether you believe it's gonna happen wherever, we have leaders in our church and pastors and even elders that have had different positions. Maybe it's pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib or even pre-wrath. 
What do you think, Ron? Well, when I was in seminary, let me let you in on a little clue if you're going to college right now. When I was in seminary, I just picked the position that the instructor, the professor said, because I wanted the A. Anybody with me? I mean, everybody knows that, right? And, and so since then, I've kind of, you know, I've, I've had my own soul searching. It isn't today that what is the, it's, it's going to happen. That, that's the picture. And so we got to have a, we got to hold it with a loose hand. There's some things we got to hold with a firm grip, like the inerrancy of the Bible and the bodily resurrection of Christ. Words matter. Not just the resurrection, the bodily resurrection. I mean, these are words that matter, that, that the virgin birth means he was a sinless sacrifice. I mean, that's the stuff we got to hold to firmly. And so this is a picture of what's happening and the promise that was given to us and given to this church because of their faithfulness and commitment. Just as you fulfill God's word, blessing equals promise, and God blesses your family, that they'll be taken out. Well, that's cool that there's no rebuke. Pretty happy about that. But there's a plan to improve. Because there always is. See, even if you're the most committed person, Jesus, he always challenges you to take the next step. And so in the Christian life, I've always said it like this, there's no holding patterns in the Christian life. This isn't O'Hare. You can't circle around and just stay the same. It, it doesn't work. If you're not going forward in the Christian life, you're moving backward. You're experiencing some drift if you're not pressing in. And so that drift can be quite significant. Wait till next week's rebuke. I'm going to be yelling and screaming. But that's what's coming next. But there's always, there's always this drift that'll happen if we're not pushing forward. It's like, you know, Jesus sets the bar high. He wants to get us over it. He wants to help us get through. So what's the teaching? Verse 11, let's get to that. You guys stayed on that slide way too long. Um, I'm coming soon, Jesus says. Hold fast to what you have. What do we have? Think with me. We got his word. We got his truth. We got the gospel. That we got to hold tightly to this. And when we hold tightly to this, God does some things. Mentioned two times in this brief letter. He opens doors. Five times in the New Testament, it talks about open doors. That phrase, you see it. I want to do a Bible study right now. This is the only application for the message. This is it. It's all coming right now. And so tune on if you, if you're, you know, you just wake up a bit. This is the application to the whole message. Five times we're going to look at open doors, each of the instances in the New Testament, including this one. And we're going to see what kind of doors God's opens. Are you up for it? Okay, good. So what is an open door? Let's provide a definition first. An open door is a God-given opportunity for me to walk through. That's an open door. An open door is a God-given opportunity for me to stop, for me to ponder, for me to seek, for me to pray, for me to figure out what's going on. That's an open door. Five of them. The first one we see here is in Acts 14, doors of faith. These are opportunities for you to share the truth about who Jesus is. Now, please look at the verse. I'm going to give you a hint. Be the first service that gets it right, please. Out of five. It isn't a trick question. Okay, it mentions God here. And then we actually capitalized it here. And, and so tell me, who opens the doors? I knew there was so much fear here now. Who opens the door? 
Gaga does, doesn't he? He's the one that opens the door. He opens the door. That, that what? That, that, that I have, I'm not supposed to fling the door wide open. I, I, I can't get this door open. I might try to get it open. I might push my way in. But God's the one that opens the doors of faith for us to walk through and share. And so God opened the door of my heart when I was 27 years old and someone shared with me, God opened the door and I became a follower of his. I know God opened the door of some of you. David sitting here in the third row. I know when he opened the door to your heart and guess what? God, this truth was shared. God opens the door and we want to see more of it. God's the one who ripens the heart and he uses the circumstances of life to open the doors. And so doors of faith that we want him to open. Second door, doors of service. So I love this picture in 1 Corinthians 16 because it says there's a wide door for effective work, effective service that you could drive a semi-truck through this thing. What's the wide door that we're to walk through? These is the opportunities that God gives us to meet the needs of the people around us. And so there's a need. Do you see the need? Will you be willing to meet the need to walk through to help with the door of service? Maybe it's your neighbor. She's going through a divorce. And you're standing across the fence and you're trying to help or deal with that situation. Maybe it's a person at work and their son or daughter has cancer and, and you're wondering, what, what, what can I do? How can I care? What can I share? You're looking for, again, an opportunity to open up the gospel and share because why? Because the circumstances of life ripen people to the gospel. Death and disease and difficulty and am I speaking truth? And, and so what we want to do is we want to we want to walk through the doors that God opens. And I love this. Um, Steve and I, uh, Pastor Steve and I, were talking to um, Ashley Eichmann, who's the director, executive director of our care center. And she's coined it great. She's like, she coined this phrase for our care center. It's one way love. Isn't that what she said? It's, it's one way. Do you, do you know what she means by that? It, it, we're, we're not asking something in return. Hey, somebody has a need that you walk by. Would you see it and meet it and not ask for something in return? Hey, I'll give you a bag of groceries. You owe me 50, 59.63. No, we don't do it like that. We're, we're meeting needs so that we'll get a spiritual conversation. We're trusting that God, through our grace, that we'd be the hands and feet of Christ. Come on, man, don't we want to be that? We can be that in our neighborhoods. We can be that in our families. We can be that in our schools. We, that's what... That's the effective work, the wide door, the door of service that, that, that God opens up for us. Well, I, okay, but I mean, am I supposed to, I mean, I like the teaching. Am I supposed to walk through every door that God opens? I mean, am I? Good question. Doors of grace. That's the next thing we see. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, hey, I'm in Troas and I'm preaching. And even though a door was open for me and the Lord, a wide open door, he knew who opened the doors. God did. He said, even though that was open for me, my spirit, something inside of me said it wasn't at rest. So I did not find my, because Titus wasn't there. So I took leave of them. So he left. 
There was a wide door of effective service to preach the word. There was a wide door of effective service to minister needs. Paul's healing people. Paul's doing these incredible things. And he leaves. We can't walk through every door that God opens. And if I can share my heart, I, I, I made a kind of a deal with God. And, you know, when I became a Christian and the gospel had influenced me in such a way where I just said, God, I, God what, what, I'm walking through every door. You hope, God, I'll bust through the wall for you. And I've had to learn that just because a door is open, that I may not be the one to walk through it. And that's a hard lesson for us Enneagram threes, if you know what I'm talking about. Because we're the ones that, what, we kind of go for it. And we're the entrepreneurs. And we're going to crush through some walls. And we're going to do this. And I don't know about your strength finders. But mine says I'm an activator. You know what that means? That means the door's closed. And I'm opening this thing. I'm wedging it open. And I'm throwing some people through. I've had to learn then. I can't kick down the doors. But as you listen to me and you see a door that may be open or closed, I... What about you and your personality? If you're using this as an excuse to not walk through the door that God opens, then that's not good either. Because we gotta make sure we understand which doors is he opening, which is he closing, and some who may not be the activators and the ones filled with faith can use it as an excuse to say somebody else will go through. And I'm just telling you, I don't wanna miss the blessing that God wants to give to me and my family and our church by not walking through the door he wants. Are you hearing me? Because if you don't do it, somebody else is coming through, man. Somebody else will walk through. Now, what's interesting in this story, though, God is so gracious and he's so good that if you check Acts chapter 20, guess what happened to Paul? He came back and the door was still open. You know... How do we get these doors open? What do you think? Hmm, let's just think about that. I don't care what you think. Let's turn to God's word. And Colossians chapter four, I'll illustrate it while they put it on the screen. This is how we get the doors open. Pray that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. And if I can admit my own failure of trying to swing a door open that is not quite ready yet, more time here than here, that we would be praying for our sons and our daughters for the, their hearts to be opened up to God and for my teenage son and that God, he's veering away from you or they just graduated college and they're not following you. Look, that, that instead of me pressing in, that I would just pray for an opportunity. Lord, for that relationship and, and for my sister or my brother and, and, and that family member that, that's going through the most difficult time in their life. Lord, would you pray for an opportunity that I could share my story for you? M more time here. Results and more time here. Make sense? Yes. Colossians 4.2, the verse before this, it says, pray with watchfulness and thanksgiving. And so I think that means that I'm to thank God for the doors he has opened 
And I'm to pray that he would give me the spiritual eyes to see that the doors that he is opening so that I would be able to discern, are you with me, church? That which doors I should be the one to walk through. That's the teaching. So that's the application. These are the doors. And so these are the doors that we are walked through. I missed one. There's one more coming. I didn't want this one because this is the one we don't like. Doors of adversity. And so Paul says, I've set before you, this is the one from the text, an open door which no one is able to shut, meaning it's wide open. And I know you don't have the strength to get through. And so some of us are sitting here in a teaching like this and God's opening the door and we're, I can't do it. I don't know how I'm gonna do this. I can't identify with that situation. Uh, you know what? That person is going through a hurt and a pain that I've never been through. I don't know how to handle that. You're right, but you're still to walk through because when you walk through, God gives you the power and he gives you the strength. And the difficulty that you went through in your life may not resemble the difficulty that they're going through. Let me be clear. But it resulted in the worst pain that you've ever experienced, which resulted in the comfort of God, thank him and his presence, and you can share about the worst time in your life when you receive the comfort of God as a promise to them that, you know what? You can receive his comfort too, even though I can't identify with what you're going through. God gives us doors of adversity, doors of trouble that he wants his people in his church to walk through. And so my prayer for this, again, it's like, man, which doors is God opening? What does he want me to do? How does he want me to respond? These are the doors that, that I want us to identify and walk through. Application done. I will ask you to do something at the end to pray. Let's get to the promise. The promise is to claim. We've already given a few of them. Now we got some pretty cool stuff coming next. So before I get to this, it's hot in here. I'm preaching up a storm. Anybody with me? Come on now. We're getting it going here. It's getting hot. It's getting hot in here. So I'm just going to kind of get a little more casual and just, I got, I'm sweating it up. And so the first, we got a couple promises here. The first one is, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. I'll make her a pillar. That means, uh, you know, we know what a pillar is. It's a source of strength and stability. And so the temple is God's presence. And here it's our church that what? That you, we need more temples. We need more pillars. One pillar, two pillars, three. We need some more of these pillars, not more physical barriers. Sometimes I feel like we're at a Cubs game when you're here. Aren't that feel that way? It's like, I can't see the TV. But, but we want pillars, people that are not denying the name, people who are keeping the word. And so I'm excited to announce the new series that's coming. We'll put the graphic up on here. I think we have it, yes. And so this series was all about the church as a, as a whole, churches, our church. Now the next series is gonna be about individuals. And so we're calling it Kingdom Builders. And we're talking about leveraging our time, our talent, our treasure, and our testimony for God. Leveraging it for building his kingdoms that we would walk through the doors he opens. We've talked about these four T's, but we've never done a series on. So I'm just excited. We're focusing on the church now and then get ready. November, we're coming at you. And we're saying, are, we're gonna, are you leveraging all your time and talents and treasure and testimony for the glory of God, for the building of his kingdom with the doors that he wants to swing open in your family, in your life, through you, that you would walk through. That, that's where we're heading. Anybody excited about that? I'm really excited. It's gonna be a good series. So don't, don't miss any time in November. 
Thanksgiving even. You gotta be here, man. It's gonna be awesome. Okay, so there's some, some more promises though. I will write on him or her, God's gonna give you tattoo. See it in the text? Some of those with tattoos are like, yeah, I knew it was in there somewhere. <laughs> Had to go to the Old Testament. I got this old T verse and now I see it in there. He's gonna write some tattoos. There's three tattoos. The first tattoo that he's gonna put down is the name of my God. So I went for it and I just did a little tattoo this morning and the name of my God, Jesus Christ, JC. Look at that nice little crown. And I don't have a tattoo, but I got one now. And man, that's looking good. He's going to tattoo that, but not only this one. He, some people are thinking I'm crazy right now. You're right. This is the only tattoo I got, okay? Stop messing with me. I don't have one of those little ones. I got this, man. This is the tattoo I have. And guess what? I got another one because there's a second one coming. And it's this. It's, look at this one. It's this one. It's rubbed off my shirt. Stink. And... <laughs> And it says, I'm sweating too much. I ruined this shirt. And it says, it says the name of the city, oh my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven. So, so I, do you see the clouds? Why are you laughing? This is beautiful artwork. And I, I've, I've realized this, that I've got an H there and I'm concerned that someone might think that I'm going to H-E-double-L, hockey sticks, and that stands for heaven. And, and so these are the tattoos and that that some of you, I'm concerned that there's no place left for the tattoo that Jesus wants to give you. But then there's a third. And so let me take off my shirt. And, uh, oh, I've been waiting for this. And I'm just kidding. And I just stop it right now. Somebody just tuned off online. I'm not taking my shirt off. I'm not foolish, okay? I, there was a day when I could have, but not now. And, 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 and so hold on. So, so, so what is this one? If, it was, if you could see it, it would be a question mark right here. I'm saving it right there. And the question mark is because, look at this, my own new name. Jesus is saying that, that there's a name that he's going to write on our hearts that, that we don't even know yet. Think about Jesus and all the names we do know. He, he's the bread of life. He's the king of kings. He's the resurrection and the life. He's Adonai. I, I mean, there's going to be a new thing that he's going to tattoo on your heart that what? That, that it just tells me that, that I'm never going to stop learning about Jesus. And so obviously I'm not talking about tattoos like that you have to tattoo it on you. However, so please, I need to make this clear in the services for the parents that are going to send me an email. I am not advocating that you or your son or daughter get a tattoo. I feel like my brother. When my brother came home from the Navy, it was just like this. I'm like, whoa, that's awesome. And isn't that, that's like the time I'm from. And, and now everybody's got a tattoo. So at first, for the first few years, I'm like, did everybody go to the Navy? No, it's not like that. But <laughs> I'm not advocating that you get a tattoo or that you join the Navy. Please defend our country. But, but. I'm not advocating that you would do this. However, at the end of the service, up on the second floor, we have a tattoo artist that I've invited to come in. And if, if you would like any of these designs that I have, they're up there for a very minimal cost. I'm joking. Somebody's up there after the last service. Where's the tattoo stuff? We're in it. We get to the best. Let's stand to our feet. And uh, Ethan, I'm going to call him back up. And I just want to get serious for a moment in our team. And um, I'm going to do something that I, I want to apologize we haven't done enough of. We're a praying church. And I, I want to 
I wanna do the hard work of prayer. And so I'm gonna ask for some boldness. We're gonna open up the front and, and in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to come forward and pray. And I, I'm just praying, we all know people and we, got, we need some doors that need to be swinging open, amen? Man, I gotta see the door of addiction swing open that God's word could true that he could break it. I need the door to swing open, man, for a relationship that needs restoration and forgiveness. I, man, I got a financial difficulty right now and I know God could speak some truth and it's my neighbor, it's my friend, it's even possibly someone that I know so close and God, God could you break through? And Lord, could you break through for salvation? Could you help me to identify, to know what needs to meet and what not? And so I'm going to ask that you just come forward. And so I'm going to ask now for the leaders in our church, you know where I'm going. I'll ask Steve. And after they're done praying, we want to pray over you. Come on, David, come forward. And so this is open. We're not doing this enough. This is who we are. We're praying. We're devoting ourselves to pray. Call to me and I will answer and I will show you great and mighty things. Come forward, please, from the back row here. Come forward to pray during this song. And we want to pray over you. And, and we're asking for God to open doors. Father, I pray that you would use this time. Come forward and pray. Call out loudly. And we want to call out to you, Lord, to open doors.